Good morning. Today's daf is daf dalit. We're going to go right from the top of daf dalit. Um, today's shiur is nishmas um, shol. Sorry, one second. Let me just confirm. Shaul Yitzchak, Yitzchak ben Shaul Ruvain Halevi and Ben Sion ben Zeev Avram Halevi. May their memory be a blessing and may their neshamas have an aliyah. Um, remember yesterday we left off the deck. We were discussing how careful you have to be with your speech and we gave two examples of how you shouldn't even give bad news. That's, uh, it's, uh, it seems to be... Uh, it's, it's not a good thing to do. They even criticized and they were very sensitive to how you give over bad news and to try not give it over, especially in a way that will shock or upset people. So now we're going to give a third example. Rav bar de Rebbe bar Rav was the son of Rebbe brother and the son of his Rebbe sister. Rebbe was his uncle, but he, because he was married to Rebbe brother and sister, how could he be married to Rebbe brother and sister? So Rebichia's parents um, each had a child from a separate marriage. So when they married each other, Rashi, Rashi tells us the name. Ivu was Rav's father and Ima was Rav's mother. Her name was Ima. So um, Ivu and Ima were step-siblings. Again, not related at all except that they're after, I guess, after their parents had them. Then their mother, then their parents got married and they had Rebbe Chia. So that's how we end up with Rav being married to Rebbe Chia's brother and sister. Now, Kisolik Lahasam, when he came to Eretz Israel, they lived in Babel and he came up to Eretz Israel. So Rebbe Chia asked him, Is Ivu still alive? Is my father Ivu still alive? Is my brother Ivu still alive? So Amalei, Ima Kayemes. Rav says you should ask about Ima first. Your sister. So Amalei Ima Kayemes. So he said, okay, is Ima alive? So Amalei Aivu Kayem. You should actually be asking about Aivu. So he realized from there by the fact that Rav was pointing out, I don't want to answer you exactly by either. Clearly, um, they were they had both been deceased. So Amalei Lashama, he said to his assistant, Cholutz Limin Alai. Remove my shoes and let's go to the and then we'll go to the bathhouse. Now let's just see in the Gemara what this means. Remove my shoes and then um, we'll go to the bathhouse. Says Shma Mina Tlas. We learn three three things from here. Shma Mina Oval Asu Bene We see that an oval mustn't wear leather shoes. Now. How do we see that? Because when he heard about the passing of his brother and sister, he took off his shoes. So therefore we see that an oval mustn't wear shoes. And what's the second thing we learned? That if you hear, literally it means distant news. But basically if it's 30 days since the passing, by the time you hear about it, you only keep one day of mourning. And we learn from here, that a part day is like the whole day. I, we know with mourning that when you have to keep, you always, as soon as you're on your final day, as soon as you've kept a little bit of that day, it's as if you've kept the whole day. So, when someone hears about the passing of a relative and it's 30 days since that relative has passed away, you only have to keep one day. And not only that, 
It's mitzvah hayom. So you keep a little bit of that day. And that's what Rabbi Chia was teaching by saying, take off my shoes and then we'll go straight to the bathhouse. Because obviously in the morning he's not allowed to go to the bathhouse. But that wasn't a problem. Okay, there's an interesting discussion in the Rishonim exactly... Um, what what is osur? Is it just uh, wearing leather shoes? Is it is there more than that? And um, there are certain practices that are, that availim would do. So how far does it go? But I think let's go on. But again, what are we? Why are we bringing the story to show that you shouldn't give over bad news? You should try not say it directly. Says Omar We're going to carry on with the idea that the way people speak, you can work out. Things about them, like remember yesterday we saw, for example, the Kohen who said, Oh, Malechem Aponim shares like a lizard's tail. I said, Oh, you're speaking badly about, you're speaking in a degrading way about the holy bread, the holy Lechem Aponim. And they investigated and found that he was actually Apostle Kohen. So we're going to see this idea, again, not in a negative light, but this idea that the way people speak or the way people act, you can sometimes tell things you can tell about them. So he says, Ahu, the Omar, Dona, Dina. It was this person who used to always say, let's follow the din. I, um, you could say it as he was too particular, always dragging people to court. Or it actually seems it might be a compliment. He, whenever there was an issue, he said, okay, we don't have to get into a fight. We don't have to make this personal. Let's follow the law. But Omru, they said, Shmamina, mean Dan Kaasi, mi Dan Kaasi, he must be from the tribe of Dan. Tisiv, as it's written, Don Yodinamo, Dan will be a judge amongst this nation. Keechod Shifte Yisrael, sorry, Dan Yodinamo, Keechod Shifte Yisrael. Dan will be one of the judges of Yisrael, from amongst his brothers of Yisrael. When Yaakov was blessing his sons, the brocha that Dan gave was that he'd be a judge. So this man, when, the, when you saw that he had an affinity to judgment, must be because he's from the tribe of Dan. Ahud have a similar story. Ahud have Omar, Achif, Yama, Sisna, Biroso. He says, when I get to build my mansion, my palace, I'm going to build it by the seashore. This Bodkuv Eshkel Chaim Mizvulan, they actually checked and found out he was Mizvulan Kasi, that he came from the tribe of Zvulan, Dilsiv, and that fits in with what the Pesach says. The bracha that was given to Zvulan, Zvulan Lachof Yamim Yishkon, Zvulan will dwell by the sea. So this person, he was naturally drawn to the seashore, to the sea, by the fact that he was um, from the tribe of, and, and that was from the fact he was from the tribe of Zvulan, whose bracha was that they will be by the seashore. Okay, that ends the sugya of, let's call it Loshan Nakia, speaking in a nice and refined way. Important to note, this whole sugya wasn't about not swearing and not speaking in a degrading way and not speaking about vulgar topics. That's a whole issue in its own right. This whole sugya, the last uh, over a daf, about a daf, what was it about? About the importance of speaking in a, a refined way and how you can tell a lot about a person just in the way they speak. So then we, so the Gemara carries on. Okay, now that we've established that according to everyone, when do you do Bedikas Chomets? On the night of the 14th. I, when we do B'dikas Chomets, the night before, the night of Erev Pesach, the night before Pesach. It says, but now whether you learn like Rabbi Yehuda or Rabbi Meir, they both hold to Orisa Chomets is only Osur from the end of the six hours onwards. Why don't you do 
Bedika at the beginning of the sixth hour, i.e., when does Chometz become also? So we're going to see, I think it's at the end, towards the end of the day, today's daf, but it's a Mishnah later on, that granted there's a Machloikes, there are Bonon, what time do you have to stop eating Chometz on Ere Pesach? Doraisa, everyone agrees that it's from the sixth hour that you have to stop eating Chometz. So why do you have to go and do Bedika's Chometz the night before? Leave it for the morning, leave it for close to the sixth hour. If Bedikas Chomet is going to take you one hour or half an hour, so do it an hour before Chomet becomes Osir. Why are you doing it the night before? Um, maybe I'll suggest the reason is because of the aspect of doing mitzvahs in an enthusiastic way. Rizin or with alacrity. Always do the mitzvah as soon as possible, a little bit early. So Moranta, Nivdog Misafra. If it was to do to fulfill that requirement, then it would have been sufficient to do bedikah in the morning. Tirsif, as it's written, it says that on the eighth day you must do mila vatanya, and we learned in Abraisa, you can do the bris mila on a child any time during the day. Elosh has risen, mitzvos. But Zrizin, those who are lacritus, do mitzvahs early. Shenemar, as the Posuk says, Vayashkeim Avram Baboiker, Avram got up in the morning. Avram got up early in the morning. So we see there's a dimension of Zrizus that only applies from the morning. I think that if the mitzvah is tied to that day, there's no need to go further back than that day. The obligation of Zrizus, the obligation to do that mitzvah, as soon as possible, to be enthusiastic to do the mitzvah, would leave it early, would be to do it, um, would be to do it early in the morning. So again, if Badika's Chomet's the obligation, if the Isra of Chomet's only falls during, at midday of the era of Pesach, then what time should we move it, what would make most sense if the reason to do Badika's Chomet's earlier is because of Zrizos? Do it at first thing in the morning. Just like a bris miller. The bris miller is to do during the eighth day. So we do it first thing in the morning. So so too with Padika's Chomets. Why the night before? So it can't be because of Zrizos. Yeah. Just an interesting thing to think about. How does Zrizos... Zrizos seems to be a hidur mitzvah. What's that? It's... It's a way of making the mitzvah more beautiful, better, by doing it with enthusiasm and as soon as possible. That yes, I got the opportunity to do the mitzvah, I'm going to do it now. Now there are times where we find the concept of, I don't know, maybe it's not Jesus, but there are times where we try to do the mitzvah as soon as possible. For example, we try to build the sukkah straight after Motzei Yom Kippur. And we try to do, there's a discussion, when do you do Kiddush Levana? You should do Kiddush Levana at the first opportune moment. Now there's a discussion, Kiddush Levana can be said on any night of the week. But for various reasons, we leave it for Motzei Shabbos. Why don't we say, because of Zrizin Makdimim the Mitzvahs, you should do it at the first possible opportunity? Um, another possibility is, uh, yeah, so those are something to think about. When would we apply this principle of Zrizos? When would it be overridden by other Hidurim, other considerations, um, etc.?
Yeah. So, but again, back to our question, why do we do B'dikas Chomets the night before Pesach? So, Omer Rav Nachman by Yitzhak, Rav Nachman by Yitzhak says, he gives two answers. He says, firstly, It's when people are at home. And second answer is, The best way to do the B'dikah is by candle. So, therefore, you should do it um, at night. Um, what's this? So firstly, during the day, everyone's out in their office and at their job and at their shop and everyone's busy. So Chazal made the Takana at night when people are at home so that they're able to do the Bidika. If Chazal would have come along and said, do the Bidika at 10 in the morning or whenever they said to say, people wouldn't be home to do it. So they said, do it at night. And secondly, the best way to do the Bidika is by candle. As we'll see, there's actually, later on, we're going to actually learn it out from Sukkim that they should do the Bidika by candle. Now, Omar Abaya, Abaya says, Hilkach. Oh, now that you've said it's actually a mitzvah, it's part of the Takona to do the Bidika on the night of the 14th. And it's not just a Hidur mitzvah, the best, it's not just a nice way of doing the mitzvah with Jesus. So he says, therefore, a scholar should not start his night seder, should not start when it's the 13th going into the 14th, because he might be negligent and not do the mitzvah. I, again, if it was because of Zrizus, well, to do the mitzvah as soon as possible, well, then maybe rather sit down and learn your normal time of learning, and you'll do the B'dikah later. And if you don't get to do it that night, you'll do it the next morning. But now that we've said it's the Takana is to do it at night, for the two reasons Rav Nachman gave. Now that the um, he should do it, he shouldn't even start learning before he's done the mitzvah. That's when Chazal instituted the mitzvah. Okay, now I think the connect... Yes, sorry, did someone want to ask something? Yeah, Ramon, uh, while you're on that subject, what is, uh, if you can just remind me, what is the reason when we do Bedikas Chomets that you actually take 10 pieces of Chomets and wrap it in a, in a paper, put it around the house? Um, uh, so I think we'll touch on that a bit later. But I think the reason we do that is because we've generally, one of the reasons we do it is that we've generally cleaned the house really well. And we say, uh, I've, I've heard two reasons. I'll check it up for when we get to those sugyas exactly more, exa- when we discuss more precisely how you do the particular summit. But the two reasons, one is that um, we, by then we've generally cleaned the house really well. So we don't want to say the brocha, do the bedikah and not find anything. I don't know how that really helps to put stuff there to find. And then another reason I was thinking is maybe it makes sure that you do it properly. If you know that your wife and maid have been cleaning the house since Purim, and now you have to go do Bidikas Chomets, you're not going to do it properly. But if you know that there is actual Chomets that you have to find, it keeps you on your toes and makes sure that you do a proper Bidika. That I think that could be the reason. But uh, let's see when we discuss the brachas and doing the Bidika. Okay. Um, now, yeah. So now we mentioned... Um, so we mentioned the teaching of Rav Nachman Yitzchak to do with, um, I think it was Rav Nachman Yitzchak who answered it. Yeah. So now we're going to bring a whole, a few other questions that they asked Rav Nachman Yitzchak. My, in my mind, I'm visioning it. Maybe they had a session in the yeshivas shortly before Pesach and they had a Q&A. 
with Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak. So we're going to bring a few of the questions and the answers that he gave. Again, relevant to the topic of Badika and Pesach. But it says, Boy, my name is Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak. They ask Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, Hamaschir beis l'chaveiro ba'arbaasar. If someone rents his house to his friend on the 14th, Almi Livdok, who has to do the Badika? Alamaschir Livdok? Do we say the obligation is on the renter to do the bedikah because it's his chometz? Or maybe it is on the one who is renting the property to do the bedikah because the chometz is in his possession. Okay, so we've got two. Again, you're renting, you're coming to someone and you're saying, maybe you're doing the deal... Um, Late on the 14th, now on the 14th, just by the 14th, around the start of the 14th, and you want to know who has to do with the, the Badika. Um, Rav Elchonon Vassaman explains that, um, according, he explains it according to Rashi and Tosfos, because remember we learned at the beginning of the Masechta, we said, why do we do Badika's Chomets? Rashi said the reason is to save us from Balyu Reh or Balyu from the Isudor Raisa of basically owning Chomets. And Tosfos said, no, it's to save us from accidentally coming to eat chomets. So, Rav Elchanan explains this question according to both Rashi and Tosfos. But let's just explain it along his lines according to Rashi. The question he asks, according to Rashi, if the mitzvah to do bedikas chomets is to save you from the negative commandment of owning chomets, who should the mitzvah be on? Obviously on the landlord, on the renter. Because he's the one who owns the Chomet. So he says, oh, you have to come out and explain like the Vilna Gaon. The Vilna Gaon says that, no, when we say the owner of Chomet, any Jew who has another Jew's Chomet in his possession transgresses having Chomet. So it's not specifically your Chomet that you transgress, Balyurah, Balyumotse. It's any Jew's Chomet that you have in your possession, you transgress, Balyurah, Balyumotse. And therefore the question is as follows. Granted, you have the first and primary obligation to check and to check for and get rid of your Chomet. And therefore as the Maschir, the one renting out the house, the obligation primarily falls on you. Or perhaps we say, since this person is going to be the one living there, and the Chomets is going to be in his house, maybe the obligation falls on him. Because actually he's the one who will, be the, who will end up transgressing Balyurah Balyumotzeh. So that's the question. Again, is it on the owner, because his, the obligation is first and foremost on the owner of the Chomets? Or do we say it's primarily on the one whose possession, whose rishus, it will, jurisdiction it will be in over Pesach? So that's the Gemara's question. That, that's the question they asked Rav Nachman. And what did he, Rav Nachman by Yitzhak, and he answered, Toshma Hamasri ala mezuzah. It says if someone rents his house to, his, to another Jew, it's on the renter. Not the, not the landlord, it's on the renter to make the mezuzah. Oh, so, so to here, we see it's on whoever's possession, just as he's the one staying there, so he has to put up the mezuzah, he's the one staying there, so he should have to do the bedikas chomet. Uh, so the Gemara answer, not necessarily, over there, Rav Masharshia said, mezuzah is an obligation on the one staying there. 
I, sorry, not on the ones that, yeah, mezuzah is a choivah sadar. I, the mezuzah, interesting way that they view it, but mezuzah is an obligation on the person staying there, whereas as we pointed out, baliro, balimotza is primarily on the owner. So we can't bring an answer from mezuzah. So hachamai, so fine, what's the halacha babadikas chomet? Whose obligation is it to do badikas chomet? So amalu, yitzak, said to them, Tidnina, we actually can learn it from a Mishnah. If someone's renting his house from or renting his house to his friend, if he has not given the key over, if it becomes the 14th before he's given the key over, then it's on the lender, the, the landlord, the rent the to uh to do the bedikka, or if he's already given the key and then it becomes the 14th, then it's on the person renting the property, the tenant, to do the bedikka. So this Mishnah seems to say it pretty straightforward, pretty clearly. Again, that it depends who's in ownership of the property, who or whose rishus, whose jurisdiction is the property in. When the 14th comes, again, the obligation to do, let's rephrase this, the obligation to do B'dikas Chomets kicks in when it turns into the 14th. Remember, the Hebrew, we always follow the, the night precedes the day. So it goes from the 13th, late afternoon, and then into the 14th on the night of the 14th, at that night. When Rashi learns, when was the key given over? When was the Kenyan finalized? When was the transaction finalized? That's what Rashi says, giving the key means. So if the transaction was finalized before the 14th, then the obligation falls on the tenant. If the transaction was finalized already once it was the 14th, then the obligation fell on the, on the landlord and he has to do the bedikah and, yeah, and he would have to do the bedikah. Okay, next question. If someone rents or yeah, rents his house to his friend on the 14th, let's assume this is on the morning of the 14th. Can you assume it's been checked or not? I it, Theoretically, the person had to do the bedikka on the night of the 14th. You move into his apartment for Pesach on the morning of the 14th. Can you assume it's been checked or not? So the Gemara asks, he says, He says, what difference? Are what do you mean? What's the question? Just ask him. Ask him, did you do Badika's comments last night? And if he tells you yes, then you can assume it. Then obviously it's been checked. And if he says no, then you have to do Then it hasn't been. So why? So he says, no, he's not around to ask. I, you, I'm, I'm just uh, painting the picture in my mind. You're going to uh, Eretz Yisrael for Pesach. Someone's, you go to the Airbnb. He, uh, he's not around. He's staying somewhere else. And he's given the key to uh, the neighbor or someone like that to pass you the, to, to, give the, to give you the key so you can move in on the 14th. You get in the morning of the 14th, the neighbor hands you the key and there's no one there to ask if Petika's Chomets was done because no one knows. So the Gemara answer, so, so, do we say he has to do Bedika or not? Again, he 
We're not sure whether it was checked. Can you assume it was checked or not? So says we can work it out from the following price. It says Everyone's believed to say that they got rid of the chomet. Even women, slaves, and children. Now, my time in Mahamni, how can we believe them? Generally, if you want to rely on something, you want to assume something's be done, you need good aidim. You need kosher aidim. Men above the age of 13. You can't rely on women and children and slaves. They're not kosher aidim. So he says, the the Kosovar are called Chavarim Eitzel Bedikas Chomet. It must be because they have the. And must, so, how can you rely on a. Let's just take the example of a child to tell you that Bedikas Chomet was done. Must be because anyway, you can assume that Bedikas Chomet was done, and therefore all the child is doing is reinforcing something that you would have assumed anyway. And why is that? Because everyone's a Chavar, everyone's reliable. Regarding Bedikas Chomet. And that we know. Many, many Jews, even if they're not careful about other mitzvahs, and even Jews who are careful with many mitzvahs, they're extra, extra careful about Chomets on Pesach. So therefore, you can rely on anyone regarding Chomets on Pesach. Now, what's a Chover? So, interesting, generally the phrase Chover refers to kind of like a club. A club of the... A society of Jews who were very careful with uh, Trumus and Masras, or very careful with Tum and Tahara. Not too clear if it's both of those or one of those, but they were very careful with this. Um, yeah, I think it's Trumus or Masras. And they were very careful with. So that's a chaver. That's the more classical context of a chaver. But that's what he's saying here. He's saying that every, just as those chaverim, that group called Chaver are very reliable regarding Masrois, Trumas and Maser. You can trust them. So too, Babadikas Chomets, all Jews are Chaverim. You can rely that they've done it. Titania, where do we see that you can rely that it's been bought up just because they're Chaverim? Titania, as we learned in the Bible, Chaver Shemais Veniach Magura Malaya Peiros. If there's a Chaver who died and he left a basket full of produce, Afilo Hein Benayuman, even if that produce was picked that day, Harei Hein Becheskas Metukanim, you can assume that it's been fixed. I that the master etc has been fixed. Has been taken, etc. Why? A chaver will make sure that the mitzvah gets done. So when we come along and say that all Jews are chaverim by chomet, you can assume that the mitzvah will get done. Umimai, who says that? Dilma shani acham amri hani. Atu. So he says no. Again, back to our original question: If you rent a house, you move into a house on the fourteenth. Can you assume that on the morning of the 14th, can you assume that the bedikah was done last night? Is there a chizkasa? Does it have an assumption, a legal, a reliable assumption that the bedikah has been done? Or would you have to go and do the bedikah again? So we came along and says, well, it says you can believe women and children and slaves who are generally not trustworthy regarding edus, testimony. So what do we say? No, um, must be because there's already chazokah. He says, no, it's got nothing to do with the Chazokah. Maybe the reason is because you believe them. He says, says, how can you rely on them? We don't trust what they say. It's not substantial. If a child tells you, but Dikas Chomets was done, it doesn't help. Must be another thing. So he says, so fine. So you're going to tell me that the reason we rely on this woman, child, and slave to, let's put it in inverted commas, testify that. The house was bought because really because there's a chazoka that doesn't fit with the language of the brises. As I call them on him, the phrase used was 
They're all reliable. We believe them. What should it have said? It should have said all houses have the status of being checked on the 14th. I should just run back to the Brysa that Rav Nachman says, Everyone's believed to say that Bir was done, even women, slaves and children. Now, if you want to tell me that the reason we believe them is because there's a Chazaka, well then it shouldn't have said we believe them, it should have said it has a Chazaka that it's bought up. So, lo, so, so, Elo, my, Mishum, Omrin, and Dahani. So, it must be, again, this Mishnah, why do you, can you assume this house has been checked? Because this child told you it's been checked. Holo, Omri, Hani, what happens if the child did not tell you it's checked? Lo, you would not be allowed to assume it has been checked. Again, that's what the price is implying. The price is implying the reason I can tell that this house has been checked because this child told me it's been checked. This woman, child, or slave. And therefore, we can see here that you can't rely on the Chazaka. Again, why not? The Bryce explains the only reason I'm allowed to assume that this house has been checked is because this woman, slave or child, told me. Implying that if they did not tell me, I would not be allowed to assume it's been checked. And therefore we say there's no chazaka. So what does the Gemara answer? He says, Actually, I'll tell you that we do generally assume that a house has been checked. What's the case? The in the low We know that he hasn't done bedikah. Um, he was overseas and he just arrived erev Pesach, or he was busy working last night. You know, for whatever reason, that he did not do bedikah. But Kaamri Hani Badkine, and if these, the woman, slave, or child, say we did do bedikah, Maudetaymeloilehimnine Rabbonin, the rabbis say you can't believe them. Who, since the Bedikas Chometz is only the Rabbonin, the Midda Oraisa Bebitl Ba'amasakia, because the Oraisa you only have to do Bittl. I'll come back to the point. Lo Himnu Rabbonin, the Rabbis, um, Sagile, Himnu Rabbonin, but Rabbonin, the Rabbis believe them with the Rabbonin. I.e., granted, so this is a, in general, maybe if you know that the person was in his house and he's just moving out Erev Pesach, or he was in possession of his house on the night of the 14th, you can assume that Bedik has been done. And, oh, why did we insist in the case that the child or the woman or the slave have to tell you? He says, no, because there it's a case where we know that the man could not have done the Bedikah. So if they tell you that they've done the Bedikah, you can believe them. Now it ended off with a very interesting point. It says, because the Orisa Bittl Baal Masagi. Where do we see, what's Bittl? So firstly, we discussed in the past, we discussed on the first half, Bittl is kind of negating it in your heart, nullifying it in your heart, saying the Chometz is like, it's ownerless and like dust to me. That we say is Doraisa. Rashi says, where do we get the from? Where do we get this from that Bittul Ba'alma is sufficient? He says, because when the Gomorrah is discussing the mitzvah of getting rid of Chomets, it uses the word Tashbisu instead of Tavaru. Tavaru would mean destroy the Chomets, burn the Chomets. But it uses the phrase Tashbisu. So he says Tashbisu includes through the heart. I, if you destroy the Chomets in your heart, you view it as nullified 
as dust, then it would be fine. And Tosos are not happy with that. Um, and they bring their f a few proofs. Rather, Tosos learn what is Bittel. And this will pop up over the next, if you go into the, let's call it the Lomdus, if you're doing the Sugi in a bit more detail, and maybe we'll try and mention it whenever it comes up as we go along. Tosfos say, no, what is Bittel? Bittel's not just nullifying it in your heart. Bittel is declaring it ownerless. And therefore, it's, and once the Chomets is ownerless, then it's not your Chomets that you have to worry about anymore. So again, Rashi says that when it says, what, what's Bittel? Bittel is basically destroying the Chomets in your mind. Tosfos saying, what's Bittel? Bittel is actually making the Chomets Hefker. Now the problem with saying that making the Chomets Hefker, and this Ramban and many others go into, is there's a whole procedure to make something Hefker. Let's say you have a, I don't know, you have whatever it is, you have an item and you want to leave it outside and declare it Hefker. It's like kind of an official procedure you have to go through to make it Hefker. You have to say it in front of a few people, you have to say it aloud. So it's not so clear to say it's Hefker, but interestingly enough that we see this discussion. According to Rashi, Tash, um, Bittel is more kind of, uh, it's along the lines of destroying the Chomets in your mind. It's nothing to me. Whereas Tosfos is says Tash, um, Bittel is um, declaring the Chomets, so um, Bittel is making the Chomets Hefker ownerless. Once it's ownerless, it's not yours. Now let's just tie that back into our answer. So they asked from Nachum Bayitzah, can you assume that Chomets has been, that, that Bittikas Chomets has been done? And we kind of left that a little bit vague. The last point we've, um, we said is you can say that, you can assume that it has a cheskosa boruk, that chazok has been done. Jews are reliable. And if he owned it and if he was staying there last night, you can assume that he did bedikas chomet. So when you move in today, you don't have to do another bedikas chomet. By the way, we came on to an interesting discussion. We mentioned that you can trust a woman, a child and a, um, a slave Um, why should you be allowed to believe a woman, a child, and a slave to say that the Bidika was done? We generally, we generally don't trust them. So, one second. Um, so, what did the Gomorrah answer? He says, no. Bittel ba'almasagya. Da'orais bittel, however, what exactly bittel is, as we said, that's a machlok, as we showed him, but bittel works. And once Bittel has done, you don't have to do the Bedikas Chomets. So doing Bedikas Chomets, searching for and destroying the Chomets is only a mitzvah drabonon. And therefore, the rabbis came along and said, we made this mitzvah on you and we allow you to rely on women. Tosfos ask a very interesting question. Generally, I'm not sure if it's the same principle, but um, um, but there's a concept of Eid Echon Neman Bisurim. Regarding Isur, what's Osur and Mutar, Kashrut, etc., you can re re believe a single Eid. And here, 
this uh, woman would be a uh, Eid Echod. And wherever you can believe an Eid Echod, you can believe a woman. Um, there's another statement that Tosos bring in. That's what I'm saying. I'm not sure if it's the same point or not. But Tosos say we generally have a principle that anything that the woman could do, or that the child could do, etc., we can trust them with. And this is quite important, because you can trust your wife that anything that she could do, or that she's allowed, that falls under jurisdiction as well. If she tells you it's kosher, or it's been done, you can assume that it's kosher. Um, that's what Tosha's bring. He says, uh, every single day we rely on women to tell you that, um, a woman and slaves, to say that it was shechted, to say that uh, certain parts of the animals you're not allowed to eat were taken out, etc. Um, so he says, why all of a sudden do we need a special reason to trust a woman? Again, the woman could do the bedikka. So if she tells you it's been done, you can trust her. Why is bedikka's chomets different to all these other cases where we see automatically that we would believe them? So Tosos' answer, very interestingly, is um, it's because bedikka's chomets takes a lot of effort. And therefore, it's not as reliable if it's something that's simple and straightforward. I, when you when you opened that, when you bought that meat, did you buy it from a kosher butchery? Did it have the best best din stamp on? Those are all very simple things. So obviously you can trust them. But doing batikas chomets is quite a mission. Therefore, it's not so straightforward that you should just trust someone unless you have proper testimony that it's been done. And comes along Al Gomorrah and says, no, since it's only a isu derabon and the derabon, the rabbi said, the Chazal said, you can trust them. So another question they asked. He says, If you rented a house from someone with the assumption that it was checked, I some Mishonim even learned you asked him, you said, Okay, I'm, I'm only going to get there, I'm very busy before Pesach, I'm renting this house on condition that you check the house for me. You do the Bidikas Chomets. And you arrive, you move into your new place, you or your new cut, uh, place you're renting, and you see that Bidikas has not been done. Mahu. Is it a Mekach Tos? Is it based on a false premise, a sale based on a mistake, and you can undo it? Or law, or not, it stands. A Mekach Tos means that if there's something wrong, um, with the with the sale, with the conditions, with the deal, um, then it, the the sale's automatically invalid. Otherwise, if it's not a mekartos, well, then you've done the kinyonim. It stands. She so says, so which one is it? Again, you bought this house, saying I'll, I'll rent this house from you on condition that you do the bedika, and you you arrive the next morning and you see that the bedika hasn't done. The bread bin's still full of chometz. You find chometz. Uh, Found some uh, biscuits in the cupboard, you know. So, uh, is it a mekach tos? Can you cancel it or not? It says obviously in a case where people do not pay others to do the bedikah for him, a person would love to do the mitzvah by themselves. I he would go through with the sale anyway. If the guy said, "I want, I'll, I'll rent this house from you for Pesach." But on condition that you do the bedikah, and the guy says, I'm not doing the bedikah, he would go through the rental anyway. So therefore it's invalid. But even if it's a place where he did rent it, where people, sorry, where people do pay others to do the bedikah, we can still assume 
that he would rather have the opportunity to do the mitzvah himself. I, um, Rashi explains that, as we said above, he would rather he would go through the sale anyway. He granted, he said to you, "I'm only renting this from you on condition that you do the bedikah." If he said no ways, you would have still gone through with the dikka, with the bedikah, and therefore Rashi says by the fact that he's coming on the morning of erev Pesach and saying, "Oh, it's a mekach tos, you didn't do the bedikah," he says he's obviously just being difficult, and he found another reason why he's complaining. Like maybe he found another opportunity. I, you went through Airbnb and you rented out this place, and then the next that night you got an email of a better place that was available. Says that's why this guy's causing this trouble. Not he would never have undone the sale because of Badika wasn't done. He's more than happy to have the opportunity to do the mitzvah. And therefore, it's obviously just he's just trying to back out of this deal for an external reason. For example, he found a better option now. Uh, you know, like when you, you're looking for accommodation and you find somewhere and then two hours later you see a better option. So that's what happened here. This guy, he went through with the deal and then a few hours later he found a better option and that's why he's trying to pull, pull out. But obviously not, not that the, not, it's not considered a mechatos because he would never have retracted. Okay, it's not awesome. We learn in a Mishnah later on. It's not in too long a time. It's on, uh, on Daf Yud Aleph. But he, it says there, says you can eat chomets on the fifth hour, but you have to burn it at the beginning of the sixth hour. Chomets becomes do'oraiso. Let's see. Rabbi Yehuda, Oymer, Oichlin kol arbo. You can eat chomets the fourth hour. The toilin kol chomets. You have to leave it on the fifth hour. Rashi explains. What is to- you leave it for the fifth hour? You can't eat it, but you can still get benefit from it. For example, feed it to your animals. So from the fourth hour, you can eat it. The fifth hour, you can't eat it, but you can still get benefit from it. The sorfim betchila sheish. And you burn it at the beginning of the six. Now the Gemara However, we see that everyone holds that from the sixth hour, actually means from the seventh hour onwards, Chomets is Osir. Rabbi Man, Rabbi Yehuda argued the Rabbonon from what stage you're not allowed to eat Chomets and at what stage you have to burn it. But everyone agrees it becomes Osir at the end of the six hours. Minolon, what's the source for that? Today we'll do the first source. It takes us a little bit into the top of the next stuff, but and tomorrow we'll do the second source. Um, just before we go further, what do we mean by the fourth, fifth, and sixth hours? I don't know if you remember when we learned brachas. The Jewish, when we speak in hours, how it works is what's called, often called halachic hours or shaot zmaniot. What you do is you take from sunrise to sunset and split the day in twelve. So the fifth, hour, so in winter an hour is shorter because sunrise to sunset is shorter, and in summer the hours are longer. But the fifth hour will always be if you take the day divided in the daylight hours and divided into twelve. Each of those is an hour, so the fifth hour would be calculated from that. That's just important to keep in the back of your mind whenever we're discussing these hours. Okay, so Omar Abayi says Trey Kroiksivi. There's two contradictory psukim or problematic siv. It's written. For seven days, you're not allowed to find chomets in your house. It sounds like the whole of the seven days, you have to make sure that there's no chomets in your house from the start of the seven day. But it's written that on the first day, you have to remove the chomets from your house. Okay, so how is that possible? You already told me that I can't have chomets in my house 
on the whole of the seventh day, and now you're telling me on the first day I must remove it. Sounds like I can have chomets at least on the night of the first day. He says, no, what it's coming to do is tell us that you have to get rid of the chomets on the 14th. But maybe it's coming to say that you have to get rid of burn the chomets on the night of the 15th. I say the night, you have to get rid of your chomets. And why would I think that? Because the Pesach says, for seven days you shall not have chomets. You're not allowed to have chomets from the day. Maybe on the night you are allowed to. So I need the Torah to come and say from the night. It says, no, lo kamash melan. Uh, oh, sorry. And it's coming to teach us that you have to get rid of the chomets even for the night. It says, I don't need that. It connects destroying the sa'or, destroying chomets to eating chomets. It connects eating chomets to eating matzah. Where do we see this? It says, You. Um, it says, for seven days you not, shall not find Sa'or. So we'll discuss Sa'or later, but let's just translate it as Chomets. In the meantime, you're not allowed to find Chomets in your house. And if you eat it, you will get Kore. So we see the connection between not having Chomets versus eating Chomets. And we see eating Chomets is connected to eating Matzah. As it's written, You're not allowed to eat Chomets, but you must eat Matzah. Uksiv beiba matzah, and it's written matzah be'erev tochlu matzos. On the evening you shall eat matzos. So we see very clearly, it says you basically in short, you must, you're not allowed to eat chomets when you're obligated to eat matzah. You're obligated to eat matzah from the night of the 15th, so you're not allowed to eat chomets. So again, back to a buyer's proof, it says you're not allowed to have chomets in your house for 14, for all seven days. That definitely includes the first night of Pesach. So what does the possible mean then when it comes along and says you must get rid of your chomets on the first day? You already had to get rid of your chomets before the first day. So it must mean on the first day, I on the 14th. So then just last point, also maybe it means from the 14th night, I maybe have to get rid of chomets and you're not allowed to eat chomets from when we do Badika's chomets on the night of the 14th. It says, no, it's written on the day. What is that? Or on the first day you must eat. Maybe from the first day of morning, maybe you're not allowed to eat chomets from dawn or from sunrise of uh, Erev Pesach. Where do you get that? It's from the middle of the day. So he says, now, when it says ach in the posuk, it limits it. Again, the posuk is ach So how do we read that posuk? Ach limited to the day, the first day. I to erev Pesach in the day, but ach says from midday. You must get rid of the chomets. Okay, so that's a biased source that you're not allowed to have chomets and you have to get rid of your chomets by midday, by the sixth hour or the end of the sixth hour of erev Pesach. Tomorrow, we'll bring a second source for that. Okay, have a good day.